Hey, it's Rachel, and this is Up for Sunday. People are on the move. So many people looking to escape war and poverty and lack of opportunity. We talk a lot in this country about the migration along the U.S. southern border. But the same search for something better is happening all over the world, in the Middle East, South Asia, and also sub-Saharan Africa. Every year, thousands of migrants from all over the African continent leave their countries, many to seek better lives in Europe. And some of what's driving them from their homes has to do with climate change, as rising seas devour fishing villages and drought turns farmland into desert. This past fall, my friend and colleague Ari Shapiro and a team of producers followed in the footsteps of some of the migrants making this dangerous journey. Today, we're launching a multi-part series that focuses on their reporting. Before they set out on their nearly month-long trip, Ari told me he and his team hope to connect the dots between climate change, global migration, and political extremism. This project would take them through three countries, Senegal on the West African coast, Morocco in North Africa, and finally to Spain in the south of Europe. I wanted to understand what Ari was seeing and hearing in real time. So while he was still traveling, I started checking in with him by phone. And those conversations continued when he got back to D.C. I learned a lot from the people he told me about. And I wanted to share those conversations with you. Hello? Hi. Is this you? Hello. It's you. It's you. You sound very far away. I'm at the westernmost edge of Africa. I'm at the northernmost edge of Senegal. I'm almost in Mauritania. That's amazing. Where the sea is swallowing up the land bordered by a river. I'm in a fishing village where people can no longer catch fish. Ari's trip began on the northern coast of Senegal, in a city that's a launching point for migrants who are trying to reach Europe by boat. By the way, I did eventually manage to reach him on a better line. So here's this historic city, an old fishing town, which was once the capital of Senegal when it was a French colony. It's spelled like St. Louis, but it's pronounced San Louis. And it's actually a UNESCO World Heritage Center. And it's disappearing. A lot of San Louis is a narrow peninsula that is squeezed between the Atlantic Ocean on one side and the Senegal River on the other. The highest point in the city is only 13 feet above sea level, and the water is coming up fast. The UN has called it the place most threatened by sea level rise in the whole of Africa. And it's not a hypothetical threat. Like, it's happening right now. Thousands of people have already been forced to move to a camp about five miles inland. Ari and the team went there when they first arrived in San Luis. We went to this internally displaced persons camp, and it was an entire community, hundreds of people, all of whom lived right on the shore, all of whom had their homes destroyed when there was an especially high tide. Here's some tape Ari recorded during his visit. This landscape is a palette of almost entirely tan. Even the sky is a sort of washed-out white color. As you walk through, the smell of latrines hits you every few buildings or so. And then there's the smell of open stoves that people are cooking their food on. They don't have electricity. If they want to go to the sea, they have to take a bus that only leaves at certain hours and that charges a fare. Uh, Lots of kids and other family members are playing outside because inside it's very, very hot. 
One of the people Ari met at the camp was an elder in the community, a man named Mamadou Chiam, who was living in a structure a little bit sturdier than a tent, but not by much. And it is held together with um, bolts and there are poles on the ceiling with laundry hanging and sheets dividing the space. And Mamadou told Ari a story. He said, when I was a kid, my father was a fisherman. My mother would make lunch every day. And before she started cooking lunch, she would say, go get your father. so I would run to the water's edge, and I would get him, and I would bring him back. And by the time we got back, she had finished cooking lunch. That's how far away the water was. Now the water is at our door. Mamadou Chiam told Ari he was too old to try to make it to Europe. But had he been younger, he would have tried, as so many young men from Saint Louis are doing. Here in Saint Louis, Senegal, everybody's going to Spain. So you've met some of these people already, I imagine. Oh, yeah. You've got hundreds of people in a community where the life they knew on the water is just no longer available to them. It's like, what have you got to lose? It's like, oh, if you've got 1500 bucks in a dream, get on a fishing boat and hope it doesn't capsize before you reach Europe. Can I tell you about somebody we met who really put this into sharp relief for me? Yes, yes, tell me. We went to this place called Ganjol, and we met with this guy. His name is actually also Mamadou. It's a common name in Senegal. Mamadou Nyang. He's 36 years old. We spoke with him through an interpreter while his mother was making lunch nearby. His kind of like half-built house. It's made of concrete. There aren't doors. It was like rough corrugated metal leaning across the doorway. He's tried to go to Spain three times and failed. The first time, he got deported after a month and a half. The most recent time, he said he didn't even tell his mother. He said the night before, he said to his mother, pray for me, and then he vanished in the middle of the night. Can you explain to me why they don't want to tell people before they leave? There's generally a practice in Senegal that you don't tell people before you travel. It's, I mean, look, being Jewish, this is the same kind of thing. You know, you ward off the evil eye. You don't want to invite bad fate. And I think it's all the more so when you're making a trip like this. It's it's illegal. I mean, making this trip is not allowed. Right. Like, Senegal has given the Spanish military permission to patrol Senegalese waters. (laughs) 2020, I attempted on a, a third time. In 2020, after being deported twice, Mamadou Nyang tried to make it to Spain a third time. That trip failed because they were intercepted by the Spanish military, and then the Senegalese military showed up, shoved their boat, fired their guns in the water, and people started to fall into the water. And then the Spanish military tried to rescue people. And everybody was crying. But they got fewer than half the passengers who were on board out of the water before many of them drowned. And only 39 survived, including Mamadou. But here's the thing. Mamadou Niang told Ari he's not giving up. He's going to try again. Migrants like Mamadou can see what success looks like all around them. The migrants who make it, they send money home. They build houses. 
Mamadou showed Ari how money from Europe is literally changing the landscape in San Luis. He took us on the roof of his house in this little village, right? And so he starts pointing around the horizon. And there's a four-story house that pops up above all the others. And he goes, oh, that one's paid for by somebody in France. And then in the other direction, he points to this massive palazzo. It's got pillars and terraces. Which which house? Oh, that's a house? I thought that was a mosque. And he says, oh, that one is paid for by somebody in Italy. It's a mansion. He has another house, too. And then we walk through the village. The white one. So as we're walking through the village, Mamadou is pointing out, oh, this house is paid for by somebody in Europe. That house is paid for by somebody in the United States. It's like each house in this village has a patron from somewhere overseas. And so far, his house has no patron. And he takes us into his uncle's house. And there's marble tiles and all of these fancy finishings and crown moldings. And he says, yeah, my uncle's in Spain, so he's able to pay for this. It looks like brand new floor tile, solid wood doors. It's very elegant, very fancy. Wow, this is a really nice bedroom with, like, marble tile around the floor. And meanwhile, he's living in this half-finished concrete shell. Now, this guy's father was a farmer. And in the fields all around the village, he grew onions and tomatoes. And now, because the sea level is rising, that dirt is all full of salt. And they can't grow anything. And he said, if it weren't for the climate change, if it weren't for the salty earth, if it weren't for the sea level rise, he'd be a farmer just like his father was. But because he can't do that, even though he's tried and failed three times to go to Europe and almost died on the third attempt, he's still going to try again. I mean, to hear you talk about, though, someone who feels that there's literally nothing left to lose, that leaving everything behind, Mm. even risking their own life is is worth the shot. I mean, that's the story of of millions of migrants, right? It's the, it, the desperation. Right. It's so easy for us from our position of comfort to say, why on earth would these people do this? Why would they risk their life? Why wouldn't they just fight for a better Africa where they are and and you know try to work to make things better in their home country? And when you see the extreme changes that these people have lived through, and those changes are only accelerating as climate change advances, it's like absolutely understandable why they might say, I got to try something, and this is as good as anything, especially when lots of other people have already done it, and they're saying this is El Dorado, paradise. You're listening to Up First Sunday. After the break, Ari gets on a boat with a man who did make it to Spain. This message comes from NPR sponsor Smartwool. For more than 25 years, Smartwool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because Smartwool believes that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. Comfort for the extreme and the easygoing. Smartwool is here to help you feel good. Now it's up to you how far you will go. Smart will go far, feel good. 
Hey, it's Rachel, and we're back with Up First Sunday and Ari Shapiro's story about migration from Africa to Europe. Can I tell you a little bit about the fishing vessels Please. that people yeah. use? Yeah, I want to know everything. Ari told me that from the city of San Luis and other points along the coast of Senegal, migrants take long wooden fishing boats called pirogues on the journey north. So we went out to see the boats. This man named Mustafa J took us to the docks. He lives in Spain now, but he was back in Senegal for a short trip. The boats that people use here are brightly painted, and there's kind of a down season every year, and that's when everybody repaints their boats. And they're painted in these bright, bright colors, many of the Senegalese flag, so red, yellow, green. And most of these boats are named after a family member, Mm. often a grandmother who has passed away or a beloved uncle who is no longer alive. And people talk about these boats with such love and care. It's it's my grandmother's name, Yasinge. It's part of our life. It's like our grandmother. Because we have feelings for the boat. First of all, they spend their life on the boat. Second of all, the boat represents, you know, their grandmother, their beloved ancestor. And third of all, the boat literally provides their livelihood, their food, their job. It's their life. And there are small ones, but the ones that go to Spain, to the Canary Islands, to Europe, those are big. I mean, those are the ones that can seat close to 100 people and go out on the sea for days. And they are beautiful. It can take a week or more to make the journey to the Canary Islands, which, as a part of Spain, is the closest European territory. The first Senegalese people to go to Spain were the fishermen of San Luis. So these boats represent both home and exodus. They're the thing that brings people together and takes them away. So you've got these countries. Somalia and Ethiopia are just two of them. And they've got economies that have been just decimated by war, and now they're also facing massive drought and the possibility of mass starvation. Along the West African coast, sea level rise has been wiping out fishing communities like Saint Louis, which have already suffered from overfishing by foreign fishing fleets. The truth is, there's rarely just one reason that a person chooses to risk their life, to leave family and home and all they've ever known. It's a convergence of forces. Each one of those pushes somebody a little bit more towards the decision to leave, and thousands of them have. But even when so many converging forces push a person in a certain direction, it all still comes down to one moment and one huge decision. taken off. So Mustafa J took us out on his boat, and as we were slowly motoring down the Senegal River watching San Luis pass by, he told us that he took a much bigger boat that looked very much like this one when he tried to go to Spain. He actually tried to go a few times, and finally he made it. Spent years working without documents. And now kind of has the good life over in Madrid with a nice job at a restaurant. And with his papers, he can come and go freely, traveling between his adopted home of Spain and here his hometown in Senegal to be with friends and family. But 
you know, even though he fits the vision of like a success story, he said to me, if I had known then what I know now about the journey, I would never have gone. I mean, he told me that because he was a fisherman, he felt at home on the sea. But for others on the boat, some were so sick they couldn't keep down food or water. For 10 days, some of them didn't eat anything. Well, doesn't he have an obligation to tell people that story so they don't come? Oh, yeah, he is. He is. I mean, like, so many people come back from Spain and say to the young men considering leaving, don't believe what you hear. It is not as good as everybody tells you. It's so dangerous. But, you know, for a teenager who hears that, it's like listening to a grown-up say don't smoke or put on your seatbelt. You know, like, getting on one of these boats represents opportunity, adventure, and maybe the risk is even part of the appeal. Like, I met this 16-year-old. What, what is your name? He was born in 2006. Who was just sort of eavesdropping on a conversation I was having with an older man who said it's a bad idea to try to make this trip. And the teenager jumped in. My parents, they are very poor, so I need to travel to go and help them. What do you imagine your life will be like if you travel? Uh, well, just to find a job when I go there and then build a, a nice house for my parents. Do your parents want you to go? Yes, they do. You know people die trying to travel to cross the ocean. Yes, of course. I know it. Are you afraid? No, I'm not afraid. This is the first stop in your reporting trip. Where where do you go next? I don't know if you're aware. I certainly was not. Morocco has two Spanish enclave cities on the northern coast. These are the cities of Ceuta and Melilla, which are part of Spain, but they are surrounded by Morocco. And so they are fenced, walled, guarded cities where migrants try to enter Spain by getting over the fence. I mean, some try by water, some try by land. And so we're going we're gonna to see both sides of this border. We're going to go to the city of Melilla, which is a Spanish city. And we're going to talk to migrants who are just outside of Melilla in the Moroccan town of Nador. And we're going to see what life is like just inside those fortified walls. Well, I can't wait to talk to you to find out what you discover in those conversations that you're going to have. That was my friend and colleague Ari Shapiro on his reporting in Senegal. Next week on Up for Sunday, we continue the journey. 
After he left Senegal, Ari traveled to North Africa, to the cities of Malia and Nadur, two places worlds apart, separated by a militarized border. That's next week on Up First Sunday. This episode was produced by Justine Yan with help from Noah Caldwell. Jenny Schmidt is our editor. The Climate Migration series for Up First Sunday is edited by Jenny Schmidt and Justine Yan with reporting by Ari Shapiro, Noah Caldwell, Miguel Macias, Matt Ozug, and Ayen Bjor. Special thanks to the All Things Considered team that made this collaboration possible, including executive producer Sammy Yenigan, editor Sarah Handel, producer Lee Hale, and intern Malika Sashadri. Ricky Shryak was the photographer, and a nod of appreciation to Daddy Ba, the interpreter you heard in the episode. Brian Jarbo mastered this episode. Scoring came from First Calm Music and Blue Dot Sessions. Up First Sunday is produced by NPR's Enterprise Storytelling Unit. Liana Simstrom is the supervising producer and Irene Noguchi is the executive producer. Anya Grunman is our vice president of programming. I'm Rachel Martin. Up First is back tomorrow with all the news you need to start your week. Part two of this series drops next Sunday. Until then, have a great rest of your weekend. Mm-hmm.